I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's La Liga Lowdown Match Day Recap hosted by me, Ewan McTeer, and rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. It was match day 26 in La Liga this weekend and the headline act was the Madrid Derby which we'll be analysing in part 1. But there's even more than that coming up in this episode. There was a Valencian Community Derby too, there was a 7 goal thriller between Huesca and Celta Vigo, there were a couple of huge results in the relegation battle and there was yet another Barcelona Academy graduate announcing himself on the scene. All of that's coming up, but let's get stuck into the Madrid derby first. This was one of the biggest clashes between Atletico and Real Madrid in some time, with Atleti holding a five-point lead over their rivals, as well as having one game in hand. A win for them would have opened up an eight-point gap and an early Luis Suarez goal, I mean, who else, it sent them on their way. There were several chances for Atleti to score another, but Thibaut Courtois came up big and then Real Madrid got better as the game went on, eventually equalising in the 88th minute when Casemiro put it on a plate for Karim Benzema. To discuss it all, we've got Kian Savani, Chief Editor of the Real Madrid SB Nation website, Managing Madrid. So Kian, looking at this from your Real Madrid perspective, you must be pretty happy with the point and the draw, considering that in the 85th minute, it looked like it was going to be a 1-0 Atleti win. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't say I completely d- disregarded the idea that Real Madrid might come back in this game despite how badly they were playing and getting outplayed by Atletico, but it certainly was a little bit of a relief. And again, I don't know, a, a relief at this stage and sneaking a draw against Atletico is not going to get you that far much closer to a La Liga title because you really needed to win this game given that you're already falling behind and you still have that Atletico... Uh, game in hand that they're going to play against Athletic, and that could further increase the gap. So a, a draw is still not ideal, but just I guess the manner in which it played, Real Madrid must be happy because they were outplayed by Atletico pretty much the entire game. And even though they have an up, uptick in the second half, and the the changes that Zidane made with Fede and Vinicius um, gave them a little bit of a spark. Atletico, I think, really will be disappointed with the way they let let it slip at the end. There, they had a little defensive miscue, which was one of like maybe two they had the entire game and 
they really should have held on because they were in firm control. So I would say Real Madrid fans are happy with the way they got a draw because they really probably shouldn't have gotten a draw in this game. Having said that, a draw is also not a great result for them. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Zidane said afterwards that he felt Atletico were the better team in the first half and that Real Madrid were the better team in the second half. Is it as simple as that? I disagree. I think Atletico were the better team in both halves. But I think it's true that Real Madrid were better than they were themselves in the first half. So if they're competing with themselves, their performance in the second half was slightly better than their performance in the first half. They started to find a little bit more in terms of openings. They fought a little bit more. And again, Fede and Vinicius have a little bit of um, credit there to to kind of give Real Madrid that spark. But I don't think Atletico were inferior to Real Madrid in the second half. Actually, I thought they were in firm control despite defending more. And when you look at the chances they had in the second half, namely to Suarez and Correa, um, I, I definitely don't think Real Madrid were necessarily the better team. They left more holes at the back for Atletico to exploit, and their offense didn't get that much better. So I think Real Madrid were better than themselves in the first half, but not necessarily better than Atletico. If they were better than themselves, then what or who do you put that down to? Well, we kind of like just the way that first half unfolded. It was a game that cried out for Fede Valverde. And, you know, he he equaled the amount of touches that Asensio had in the entire game in just half an hour. He was more involved. He was making more dangerous off-ball runs. He was actually winning the ball in midfield to help kickstart some opportunities. And... He wasn't directly involved in the goal, obviously, but he just made a difference in the overall fight of the team and the overall movement and the way that Real Madrid's wingers were playing in that first half. And obviously, I'm looking at Asensio and Rodrigo. They were so taken out of the game by Atletico and they weren't getting touches on the ball. And and Rodrigo looked out of shape. Asensio was uninvolved. So really, the changes themselves were, I think, the the biggest factor in Real Madrid. And again, it wasn't right away. It was in the 59th minute when this all happened. Up until their entrance, it really wasn't much home to write about. They were maybe playing, they were putting more numbers in the box. I'll give them that. But I, they were also leaving themselves vulnerable defensively. So I think the subs were, were the biggest reason for an uptick in the second half. And what about Atletico substitutions? I thought they were very ambitious and bold for almost all the game. But in the final 10 minutes, the, the change of Korea for Kondogbia saw them drop back. Perhaps a bit too much. Did Simeone fall into some old temptations with that? Yeah, this is a, a theme with Atleti because they have this knack for controlling games even though they, when they don't have the ball. They, they can kind of control the game defensively. They can get on the counter. They can be dangerous offensively. And we all know they've been dangerous offensively this season. But then maybe they get a little bit too comfortable and they think the game is over and they have this one moment. And in this game... Really, that that Kondogbia sub is ironic because it it provides you defensive security theoretically when you take Correa off for him. But he was also partially at fault for the goal conceded where he fails to track Casemiro. And, you know, Hermoso obviously is the other one who was directly involved in conceding that goal. But Kondogbia also switches off. So I think there's a bit of complacency in there. Um, Possibly the, the subs were to do with that. I mean, in most cases... I feel like if you play this out nine times at a time, Atletico will just see out the one nil win. I and mean, we've seen that a million times, right? So it's hard to say that that's, you know, what happened here. But 
they switched off and maybe they got a little bit too comfortable. And we all know what Casemiro does offensively. He's one of Real's most important offensive players at this point. And he made a great off-ball run and they just failed to track him. So I think they switched off. And ironically, the Condogbio sub wasn't helpful for them. Zidane had said before the game that this was a final. I mean, he always says that. But if that's the case, then is it fair to say that it was Barcelona who won this final? Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a heck of a week for Barca. They had the elections. They they won their game pretty comfortably. And they're on a bit of run of form here. And a draw was the ideal outcome for them, I think. So... I think Barcelona are the biggest winners and they still have to play Atletico and Real Madrid. So they will look at it from their perspective that that's six points that um, that can leap from, leap the, leapfrog them to the league title, which is unthinkable given that the summer that they had and the turmoil that they've had. But I would agree that this is a, a big win for them. Thanks, Kian. And yes, I think it really was Barcelona who won this weekend. Both their title rivals dropped points and they themselves had a good victory. They had a trip away to Osasuna and they won 2-0 at El Sadar with goals from two youth graduates, one who left La Masia a long time ago and another who, well, he's technically still a youth player. Those homegrown goals led to some great commentary clips and that's why Osasuna versus Barcelona is our sore throat game of the week. So here's Rui Barlow to talk us through it. Coming off a magnificent midweek win against Sevilla in the Copa del Rey, Morale was high in Can Barca, but there was definitely something to be said for fatigue. Wednesday night's tie was their fifth extra time of the year, so a trip to El Sadar to face Osasuna was far from ideal, particularly when you take into account that Hugo Barasate's side were feeling pretty good about themselves, with three wins out of four, now with a bit of breathing space between them and the relegation zone. They certainly caused Barcelona problems early on, and Kike Barca forced a flying save from Ter Stegen. On the half hour mark though, Barcelona's favourite double act appeared. Jordi Alba que rompe posición correcta. Jordi Alba para llegar de John. Y gol. Gol 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 Alfredo Martinez of Ondacero. Messi making an incision through the Osasuna backline with his trademark bomb behind to Jordi Alba. You may have heard De Jong's name, who was arriving for the cutback, but Alba cut ties with tradition and let rip on a vicious strike. Osasuna were not deterred and continued to create chances, Ter Stegen denying Ruben Garcia after a fantastic touch to get in behind Mingueza. Despite switching from a 3-5-2 to a 4-3-3 at half-time, Barcelona failed to really control the match, which hung in the balance right up until the 82nd minute. Ilaish Golasso, Manolo Oliveros of Carena Cope, crying his name and perhaps a name worth remembering. Highly rated and reportedly the highest paid player in La Masia, the 18-year-old has looked right at home in his cameos with the first team, adding a goal to his assist last weekend. 2-0, job done and three points. This was not a game to draw sweeping conclusions about Barcelona 
although it did highlight a few morsels. For one, whether it's 3, 4 or 5 at the back, without Piquet and Araujo, this Barcelona defence will look vulnerable. The inclusion of Griezmann up front also showed that pacey forward is needed for that 3-5-2 formation to function properly. On the other hand, it highlighted Koeman's flexibility and willingness to trust youngsters, two of his greatest virtues in 2021. Arasate, meanwhile, he can be pleased with his team's performance, even if their lack of efficacy in both boxes was their downfall once more, which has been a bit of a theme this season. Thanks, Ruri. So that's how Barcelona collected their latest three points, a huge win that means the top of the table now reads like so. Atletico are still top on 59 points with a game in hand, Barcelona are second with 56 points, and Real Madrid are third with 54 points. And the game in hand that Atletico have takes place this Wednesday against Athletic Club, which we'll of course be covering on our La Liga Lowdown account on Twitter. Now, we're going to take a short break, and after this, we'll be back to go over the rest of the match day. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back into this Matchday Recap where we're discussing the 26th round of the 2020-2021 La Liga season. We've already gone over the Madrid derby but that wasn't the only derby of the weekend. On Friday night we had Valencia against Villarreal at Mestalla. This was billed as a sort of shifting of power in the Valencian community and Villarreal followed the script by taking the lead with a Gerard Moreno penalty. But Valencia won a penalty of their own in the 86th minute that Carlos Soler converted before Gonzalo Guedes hit a thunderous winner in stoppage time. Our favourite Valencia fan Paco Pollitt was of course watching along for this 2-1 win and commentating on it. He joins us now and Paco just what were your feelings when that Guedes goal rippled the net? Well, I sure celebrated such a goal because of the moment it happened, the context of the game and just how difficult the week had been for Valencia after being thrashed 
at Getafe's ground and all the rumors surrounding the arrival of the Crown Prince of Johor to the city. The truth is, uh, many really didn't expect a Valencia comeback because Villarreal seemed quite comfortable with the one goal advantage and didn't really push for a second one. Valencia's later reaction was surprising, but 100% fair on what we saw on the pitch. Gates' finish was obviously great, but the assist from Christian Oliva really impressed me too. And Manu Vallejo brought energy as he always does, so Javi Gracia's substitutions, they really changed the game, didn't they? Yes, they surely did. Actually, I suspect getting Guedes on the pitch was some sort of Hail Mary moment from the manager, Javi Gracia, as he hadn't really granted him the confidence in past games, but decided to give the Portuguese winger another shot just for the sake of it. We already know what Manu Vallejo can bring to the table, and indeed, Cristian Oliva's run through the middle and later assist to Guedes was very surprising for a player who's expected to really recover balls and stop the opposition in midfield, not really be in charge of setting up attacking plays. Jasper Sillison was also a hero for Valencia in this win. Is he considered the starting goalkeeper again? I think Jasper Sillison has always been the starter keeper for Javi Gracia, but he just wasn't physically fit. And as soon as the coach has been able to start him, Jaume returned to the bench and the Dutchman has played the latest games against Celta, Getafe and Villarreal. His season has been extremely tough for him after undergoing surgery back in November, but I have no doubt he's going to start the remaining La Liga games till the season is over. He's just a better goalkeeper overall and remember, extremely tolling on Valencia's finances. If Silesen doesn't play and he doesn't have opportunities to shine, the club won't really have the chance to try and involve him in a future transfer next summer. Javi Gracia said after the match that the fans contributed to this victory too with the way they welcomed the team to Mestalla. What was it that the fans did? In this case, a small representation of the 2000 fan group that used to be Curva Nord, which was effectively dismantled by Anil Murti's administration, decided to weather the cold evening and went outside Valencia's hotel with flares, banners and all of their tools to perform what we call in Valencia a corteo, walking alongside the players' bus through the streets of the city while chanting and clapping and supporting the lads. The pictures, by the way, can be seen in social media and that rush of adrenaline and support seem to have an effect on the team, who arguably had their best game in the last month in a local derby. About the fans, they might not be allowed inside Mestalla and they might be despised by the club's board, but they regardless managed to have a positive impact on the team's morale. For Villarreal, this is another big setback and they've not won in La Liga now for two months. Are the fans starting to turn on Emery? Well, sure, there's a bit of anger and you only had to listen to the post-game conference with many tough questions from Villarreal journalists and this might evolve into something bigger if the team is unable to win on short notice. Remember, eight games without picking up the three points have suddenly dismounted Villarreal from the leading pack in the league. This is bad news for Unai Emery because 
Not that long ago, Villarreal managed to climb to the second spot during the first third of the competition in La Liga, but something's definitely not working properly in the latest months. What looked like a very promising season, both in La Liga and Copa del Rey and also European competitions, could end in a low note for Unai Emery in his first season as Villarreal's manager. Lastly, Paco, what about Danny Parejo? This was the former captain's return to Mestalla. What was that whole experience like to witness? Yes, it, it was very strange, okay? You only had to see the way his former teammates went and swarmed him in hugs and kisses and handshakes once the game was over. It was very, very weird to watch him play in a ground he knows inside out, but this time wearing a yellow-colored shirt instead of the traditional white one. Um, Parejo didn't have the greatest game and surely he didn't like the end scoreline but just to see him reunited with his former locker room mates most of them very good friends with him was a very very special moment Yeah, a special moment in a special match that got this round off to a fun start and the funnest game of the whole weekend was surely the early Sunday game between Huesca and Celta Vigo I'll be honest, I didn't have this one circled in red or anything like that but I put it on in the background as I was working on the, the build-up to the Madrid derby and there was a goal just about every moment I looked up. It took just five minutes for the first one as Celta Vigo went ahead, then Huesca came back to go 2-1 up, then Celta went 3-2 up, then Huesca's David Ferreiro pulled his side level to make it 3-3 but it was level for just 130 seconds. Fran Beltran popped up outside the area to fire Celta Vigo back in front for the 4-3 final score. One of the really interesting things about this result is how Celta did a lot with not a lot. I don't usually bring up expected goals on here, you know, the stat that evaluates the quality of a team's chances, but if you look at it for this game, then it was, according to Understat, 3.13 expected goals for Huesca and just 0.66 for Celta. So Celta definitely made the most of their chances and took the three points. Huesca's defeat then keeps things very interesting down at the bottom of the table and we're going to talk about the relegation battle now with Martin Devlin, a Real Valladolid fan who runs a Pusela Escoffia fan account in English. Real Valladolid, they hosted Hitafi and 1-2-1, thanks mostly to a bright start and early goals from Oscar Plano and Sean Weissman. That allowed them to hold on even after Jaime Mata pulled one back. So Martin, how huge and much needed was that win for Real Valladolid? Make no mistake, this win was absolutely immeasurable in its importance for Real Valladolid, for the players, the staff, the fans and everyone connected with the club. But it held far more importance though for manager Sergio González, who had been facing mounting criticism and fans calling for him to be sacked following a run of poor results. The team had been stuck in the relegation zone with the wheels spinning in the mud for a number of weeks and were failing to live up to the expectations publicly set out at the start of the season. Let us not forget either that, upon taking over as president of the club in 2018, Ronaldo stated that he expected the team to be challenging for European places within the next couple of seasons, which currently looks more likely if you were to take the table, flip it over and stand it on its head. This has been a team starved of wins and they came so close against Celta last week only to concede in the 94th minute to draw 1-1 and further prolong the agony. That point did lift them out of the bottom three, but it's so tight at the foot of the table that draws just aren't going to cut it if they want to survive in Primera. So this win was huge. Yeah, so this was Real Valladolid's first La Liga win since January 2nd when they beat Hitafi. 
Is there something about Hitafi that suits your team? Well, there certainly seems to be, and I for one would be delighted if there could be more matches between the teams. It's the first time this season that Real Valladolid have taken both matches against an opponent and only the seventh time since returning to Primera in season 2018-19. It certainly helped playing at home, but more so because Jose Bordelas' side have been terrible travellers, with the second-to-worst away record in the league prior to this match, picking up just two wins. But Real Valladolid had also been less than stunning in their own stadium though, with just two wins as well, so it kind of felt like something had to give at the very least. Having said that, I was surprised with just how well Real Valladolid came out of the blocks. Maybe the seriousness of the situation is finally starting to sink in, or maybe there was some sort of unresolved anger from the way they surrendered two points in the final seconds last week, but there was a hunger about their play which I had not seen in quite a number of weeks, and was very pleasant to watch. This drive and determination was perhaps a greater influence on the match outcome than any particular style that Getafe played against them, although I did note that they had Carlos Alenia playing on the right of midfield in place of the suspended Mark Cucurella, with Alan Neom switching over to the left-hand side, so you could argue that Getafe were maybe not at their strongest. Weissman is now the top scorer for the team, even if it's only with four goals. How is he doing now that he's had enough time to settle in? Since returning to Primera, goals have been in such short supply that being the top scorer in the Real Valladolid side isn't really a noteworthy accolade. Last season they scored 32 and only two of the three relegated sides, Leganés and Espanyol, had less. Sergi Guardiola finished the top of the pile with eight and he's found the net just once in this campaign. Weissman was the signing in the summer who everyone thought was going to be the answer to this problem, especially after scoring for fun in the Austrian Bundesliga last season. I should be clear that nobody expected him to match those numbers, which were 37 goals in 40 matches, but it was felt that he would significantly improve the attack. In truth, I think he has struggled to adapt to life in a higher level of football, and he doesn't seem to speak very much Spanish at all, so maybe there's some sort of communication or understanding issues. I think it will come good for him. He just needs some adjustments, and we will see the best of him in the fullness of time. It took him eight matches before he found the net, and in only two of those did he play from the start. In his third start, he bagged a brace against Osasuna, which propelled them to a 3-2 win, and it looked like the good times had started to roll. However, between that match in round 13, and then this match against Getafe, he scored only once, and that was in the away match against... Getafe! What do you think about the relegation battle as a whole, from a real wide lead point of view? Who are the three sides you're hoping will be below you? I have absolutely no preference as to who the bottom three are, as long as Real Valladolid are not one of them. The end of April will be a key time for them, with back-to-back matches against direct rivals in Elche and Cadiz. The latter started the season incredibly well, and have taken some big scalps so far, but they are starting to fade. I think Itafe will pull their socks up eventually and steer clear of trouble, but I do fear for poor Elche. They had such a struggle to be promoted and then have the coaching change from Pacheta to Jorge Almiron, then such a short turnaround before their first match back in Primera, then changing coach again to Fran Escriba. They've poured everything they have into the season, but will it be enough? Who knows? Huesca are the logical choice to drop down, but for a while they were making up ground like it was going out of fashion. Eibar are dropping like a stone, winless in nine, and it doesn't look good for them. Deportivo Alaves are also struggling with three consecutive losses. Both of these sides need to start picking up points pretty soon. Next week, Alaves and Cadiz face off against each other, and that match could have a huge bearing on their futures. It's a constantly changing landscape, and will most likely go right down to the wire, but it would be nice for once to have a season where my team were not in the relegation conversation. 
Things are definitely hotting up at both ends of the table, and it's proving why this is the best league in the world. Thanks, Martin, for that summary of the relegation battle. A constantly changing landscape is exactly the proper description, I think. To give you a summary of the other results from this weekend, with a relegation battle implication, we saw Cadiz and Ibar go up against each other on Saturday, and Cadiz won that game 1-0 with an Alvaro Negredo goal. The highlight moment, though, might have been the goal that wasn't scored. Ibar won a penalty in the second half, and goalkeeper Marco Dimitrovic stepped up to take it. Remember, he took and scored one against Atletico Madrid recently, and coach Mendilibar said that he'd stay as a penalty taker until he missed. And, well, that's what happened. His opposite number, Jeremias Ledesma, saved it to make it a big win for Cadiz. Elche, meanwhile, got a huge 2-1 win against a Sevilla side that looked physically fatigued and, perhaps more importantly, mentally fatigued. Goals from Raul Guti and Guido Carrillo in quick succession means it's two wins and two losses so far for Fran Escriba since he returned to Elche. The match day concludes with Real Betis against Alaves on Monday night, but of the nine fixtures already played, the final two were home wins for the two giants of the Basque country. Real Sofidad overcame Levante 1-0 at home in a match that it really could have finished 4 or 5-0. Danny Cardenas was back in goals and back in pressing for Levante, making seven saves to keep the scores down. He really is a special goalkeeper, as we explained here on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. Then, Athletic Club met Granada on Sunday night. This was a game between a knackered Athletic side that had just qualified for another Copa del Rey final and the Granada team missing half their squad through injury. And it was the tired legs who did better than the fringe player legs. 2-1 it was to Athletic with one early goal from Asir Villalibre in the third minute and then one very late winner as cup hero Alex Berenguer scored the winner in stoppage time. Marcelino really has turned this team around and... Now they visit the leaders, as I mentioned earlier, on Wednesday night. Be sure to join us on Twitter for that game and for all the week's European games involving Spanish teams. For now, that's all from this episode. My thanks to Kian Savani, Ruby Barlow, Paco Pollitt and Martin Devlin for all their contributions. I've been your host, Hugh McTeer, and thanks a lot for listening. <laughs>